Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Amen. amen. Yeah, give it up. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <clears throat> amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you this morning about transforming encounters. Transforming encounters. Whether people know it or not, whether people know it or not, I might be just a touch hot, but I am a little hoarse from the worship there. Whether people know it or not, everybody on earth is on a journey with God. Most folks don't know it. Most folks are trying to chart their own path without the ability to know that they're tracking with God. But the Holy Spirit is, is wooing. The, the Holy Spirit is, is drawing. The Holy Spirit is, is, is revealing God's love to each of us in a particular way. To fulfill our purpose, our unique call, to fulfill the reason that we're actually on this planet. How can we understand what God is doing? How, how, how do we discern God's voice? How do we learn to walk in God's love? Remember we talked last week about Abraham and the Bible says that Abraham was on that journey not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh because he had seen the unseen God. He was literally excuse me, Moses Abraham Abraham had seen the unseen God. He was literally on a journey that the world could not see. But it was settled in his heart that he had seen. Amen? And this is, this, is, this is the assurance we're all looking for. And I believe this is the assurance that God wants for each of us. So as you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22. Returning to the lectionary this week in, in this series. And God is speaking right into where we're at. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, the Bible says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him the other side while he sent the crowds away. He's talking about the Sea of Galilee. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already along. Did I say something? Okay. Verse 23. I thought maybe I missed something here. Verse 23. After he sent the crowds away, he went up. He went up on the mountain by. I thought maybe I was reading the wrong book or like, no, Pastor, that is not Matthew chapter 14. You hear God, that's good. Verse 23, and he had sent the crowds away. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. 
But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come and come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took his hold of him and said to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Can you say amen to the reading of the word? Amen, amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. A number of years ago, <clears throat> Diane will remember this, I believe, a uh, bunch of people in our church went on a kayaking trip. We, we, we went kayaking down in Fort Lauderdale, and it was, it was, it was kind of a funny experience, if I could be honest with you. It was, it was a little, 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 little funny in that um, uh, they, they kept telling us when we were going to go kayaking, get ready, you're going to keep falling in the water. You are going to fall over and over and over again. And we thought, all right, well, you know, if, if you say so, I, I, I believe I can do it, but you never know. I'm not a professional kayaker. I'm not an actual avid kayaker, Mikey. But, you know, I, I, I said, well we'll, well, we'll give it a shot. And so we went down there with these folks who had been kayaking earlier who had all been constantly falling in the water off their kayaks. And the rest of us, a good majority of us, weren't having such a problem with the kayak. As a matter of fact, my son was 14 at the time, and he actually had to get in the kayak with them to help them get out of the little inlet to get into where the ocean was, where we were going to the intercoastal because they just could not navigate it. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, for them, this was a very, very difficult task. But for some of us, not as difficult of a task. See, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I, I lived a double life for a little while. I'm, I'm, I think I'm ringing a little bit. And, and, and Bella, if you could switch the lights, that would be great. But other than that, we're doing good, all right? Um, and so, but, but people forget about me sometimes. I lived a bit of a double life. I lived a crazy life at one time, but I was also in Boy Scouts at the same time. And I'm actually an Eagle Scout. And actually, I have canoed more than probably this entire room put together. I have canoed miles and miles and miles up and down the Loxahatchee River. I've canoed in Colorado. I've done some canoeing. Your boy can work a canoe. So I wasn't too concerned about riding a kayak. And so when we got there, we just kind of did our little dealie. I'm like, I'm not understand why y'all keep falling in the water because I actually, this doesn't seem that complicated, not letting them know. I feel like I'm a bit of an expert in kayaking, right? I just... I got the canoeing merit badge. You know, I got this thing worked out right here, right? And sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that there's people in the Bible who are experts at some things. And instead of like recognizing the expertise of the people in it, we put ourselves in situations, right? We, we, the, one of the real weaknesses of Western interpretation of the Bible is that we keep putting ourselves in the scriptures where we don't actually belong, if that makes sense. So in this story, and in every story where Jesus sends the disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, we think about what it would be like if you and I were like in a rowboat in choppy seas, right? That would be terrifying. I don't know how else to put that. That would be very, very, very scary for me to be in a small boat in a body of water where the water is getting into the boat, right? It, 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 that sounds scary, but the disciples, we have to remember, among them were professional fishermen, 
right? There were people who fished for a living on that lake. Like, this is what they did. This was not a big deal to them. And the very first time, you know, things, things were a little harrowing, but, you know, here, here they were uh, on the boat with seas that were going kind of crazy. And the first time we read about the disciples in a boat was in Matthew chapter 8. And those of you who've read, you remember the story. They're crossing over, and Jesus, who is the ultimate fisherman, right? Like, since he made the fish and the seas, and the ocean and the trees that made the boat, right? Like he, he, he made all these things. Jesus wasn't worried at all. Jesus knew he had a promise, knew he had a destiny. He knew he wasn't going to die. He knew he was going to die, but not in that boat, right? So they were traveling across the Sea of Galilee, and he's napping in the midst of it, right? That's how you know you got peace, when you can nap. Not that depression nap. Not that, you know, I'm not going to face this, so I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and sleep the day away. That's, that's not the kind of nap Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is able to sleep. When people are freaking out, you ever like, Jesus, why are you sleeping? I'm freaking out, right? And this is what was happening in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat, and they woke him up, and he rebuked the winds and the seas, and they could, didn't know what to do about it. They're like, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. This, 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 this moment, this Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 8 moment, was completely lost on them. See, put this up, Bella. They were supposed to be transformed by this encounter. This Matthew chapter 8, Jesus rebuking the seas, was supposed to be a transforming encounter for them. Jesus revealed that He Himself had authority over everything on our planet. And the disciples missed it. Now, when we look at these transforming encounters, I believe that Jesus is not just a, a, a magician. Can you say amen? He's not just one who does card tricks or parlor tricks or he just heals because he's good. He's not like, like we imagine we would be if we were a billionaire, right? Like we like to think like, you know, if I hit lotto, I would put this person through school and I would buy that person a house and I would, you know, buy this person a car. You, you dream like that? Is it, are you like me and you dream like that? You would do something for people. But you never think, if I hit lotto, all of my friends will never have to work again because they can constantly come to me for money. Right? That's not how we think about it, right? Is it, amen? I'm not the only one talking here right now. That, right? That's not how we look at that, right? Well, that's this side of the room. That's not how we look at it, right? No, we think I will do something good for them. And then I will go live my life then I will be fabulously wealthy and they'll think that I'm great because I bought them uh, a Hyundai, right? Like that's, that's, you got your Sonata, right? Don't, don't ask me anything else, right? Like I'm, I'm now living. That's how we think of wealth and that is not how Jesus wanted them to think of his riches. Jesus wanted to let them know as he rebuked the sea when he was with them that I am with you and the storms will be rebuked. You will not be overcome by the storm because I'm with you. This is supposed to be what theologians would call epistemological. It's supposed to be part of the formation of how they receive knowledge, how they understand the world. This is supposed to inform how they view truth, right? This epistemological aspect of the miraculous was supposed to change how they view their relationship with God, how they view their relationship with the world, how they view their relationship with other people, 
and how they view their relationship with themselves. God is with us. And we have to recognize that Christianity, it's not just a philosophy. Some people like to lump Christianity in with all the great philosophies of the world and as if Jesus came as just some sort of philosopher. And philosophy is the study of ideas about knowledge and truth and right and wrong and the nature and meaning of life. Philosophy is at the heart of theology, but it is not Christianity. Christianity is not just a rule of life. And if, you, if that phrase maybe resonates with you, I would challenge you to look into a rule of life. A rule of life is how you have partnered with God to decide how you are going to live your lives. It's a commitment to live our lives in a particular way. We may partner with Holy Spirit to define a rule of life, but Christianity is not about how we live. Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. It starts with a transforming encounter that we recognize that Jesus died for all, but I have come to the place where I understand that Jesus died particularly for me. Not just for the world, but for me. I'm going to speak a real quick side note here. Uh, we, uh, if, if, if you get some extra time in prayer this week, we are, we are in a bit of a war with uh, Investments Limited to fix our air conditioning because it's in our lease. And uh, it's funny that they, they respond very quickly when they change their payment system, but when we let them know we need the AC fix, they're a little slow on the gun. So if you would just pray into that, I would certainly appreciate it because I want to be cold on Sunday. I just want to be honest with you. All right, we, we pay rent. It's time to get our AC fix. Amen. In the name of Jesus, let it be done. Amen. Amen. But put this up if you would, please, Bella. Christianity starts with a transforming encounter. Christianity starts with a transforming encounter. Maybe you came to a church service and you just felt something different. You felt something happen. Something in the message spoke directly to you. That was Holy Spirit getting my words and turning them and twisting them and sharpening them and sending them straight into your heart. That's because God wanted to have an encounter with you on a Sunday morning. And this is the beginning of our Christian walk. We maybe grow up in a Christian home where we learn about how to live like a Christian, meaning we get a rule of life. But that does not mean that we have become Christians. Maybe we understand all of the doctrines of Christianity while we were growing up. Therefore, we understand the philosophy of Christianity. It does not mean that we are a Christian. When we are called by Jesus to come and follow Him, and we respond to that call is when we become Christians or Christ followers. Once we put our trust and faith in Him, this is the foundation of Christianity. It's a transforming encounter. It's a, it's a moment in time where God reveals an aspect of His nature, and it's supposed to change how we see God and how we see the world. Remember last week we talked about Jacob. Jacob was on the run. He was on the run for his life. He had done some treachery. He had his whole life kind of tricked people. His, his name means heel grabber or someone who would trick someone else for your own gain. And uh, he was laid out, you remember? And he had this dream 
And in this dream, the heavens opened and there was a ladder and the angels were ascending and descending, but God himself did not need the ladder. God doesn't use the ladder. God is just God. And God is living in heaven, which is not a space separate from the natural realm. We, again, I'm going to reiterate what I taught last week. We think of the earth here and the heavens here and hell is here. And there's some sort of this spatial change. But the problem is if you go far enough down, you get back to earth, right? And that, so it doesn't, doesn't really work that way. Heaven is the created realm where he chooses to live in communication with humanity. Heaven is not a space separate from us. Heaven is wherever God is. And Jacob awoke and saw an open heaven with a ladder. And he said, surely God is in this place. Not Jesus is in his place. And I'm here by myself. Jacob had to have the revelation that surely God is in this place. He's not separated from me. I am a child of covenant. And so in this dream encounter, there was this connection with heaven and earth in his heart. And that changed how he saw the living God. His spirit was touched and he declared the nearness of God. I believe he said it to the world around him. I believe he declared it over his own heart. He might have declared it to his animal. I don't know who he was declaring it to, but God knew it already. The angels knew it already. But finally, in Jacob's heart, he was lining up with a truth that was being revealed to him. Again, this is epistemological, meaning it is forming how he understands, how he gains wisdom and receives knowledge. All of a sudden, the nearness of God was a truth he did not know before. And this is the mission of Jesus. All throughout the earth, the Lord, hear me, is in this place. When we worship Jesus just now and he began to speak, uh, God didn't tell me, get on stage and begin prophesying. That was not God somehow took me over and I spoke the word of God perfectly as if Jesus took on my flesh and began to speak. That, that's, that's not what happened. What happened was I have a relationship with God. I felt in my spirit, man, that the God, that his presence was near and that I was supposed to recognize that presence. And then I feel like he told me that I'm supposed to activate or let me better say, utilize some of the gifts he has given me since I have a heightened awareness of those gifts. And I was supposed to declare some things into the atmosphere so that the spirit had something to land on in your life as you came into agreement with that. Jacob had a choice of whether he could believe that dream or dismiss that dream. Jacob had a choice whether he would just say, that was a funny dream I had last night, or he could say, that dream was supposed to inform something in my life. And we're in a season of heightened spiritual activity in this church. I don't know if you have noticed it or not, but there is an activity happening in the spirit realm. My wife and I had very similar dreams last night. We talked about it over breakfast this morning. She said, I had a dream about these people. I said, that's funny. I had a dream about this person, these people in our past. I said, maybe God is just healing that season of our lives, even though it's more than a decade past. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us for a reason. You see, we're to be in seasons of heightened awareness of what God is doing and what God is saying. We're to lean in a little bit, even in the midst of our disappointment and even in the midst of times of failure in the past. 
in the midst of times where we thought God was going to do something and He didn't, we are to stay in faith and lean in, trusting that God is going to speak to us and through us. And this is the mission of Jesus. All through the ministry of Jesus, we see Him doing this over and over again. He kept telling the people around Him that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. And then He demonstrated that kingdom and how it does not operate like this world. There are many theologies out there today about the end times. So many theology about what happens sometime way in the future. I would challenge us as a church body, don't believe any prophecy about the future that discounts the presence of God here right now. He is here with us. How do we know that? He said it. The kingdom of God is at hand. He didn't say it's only here for a minute. He didn't say it's coming and it's passing by. He didn't just say that generation, they would have received the kingdom of God and then future generations are going to come and I'm going to treat them very badly. That is, that is not our God. As we think to the future, as you read the Bible about prophecies and uh, apocalyptic literature, I want you to remember the word apocalypse is, is the word, is the Greek word for revelation. Apocalypse does not mean catastrophe. Apocalypse does not mean destruction. Apocalypse does not mean uh, death on mass scale. It means revelation. And I want you to remember what has happened every time Jesus has been revealed to you. Good things. I'm going to say this again because I want you to hear it. <clears throat> I want you to think about every time Jesus has been revealed to you. Has it been good or bad? It's been good and only gets gooder. And so the revealing of Jesus, the very first words in the book are the revealing of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Anybody we speak to about Jesus is blessed because we have brought His name up in their presence. Anybody, no matter how many times they reject your, your invitation, no matter how many times they rebuff your witness, how many times they don't want to hear your testimony, every time they hear it, they're blessed. Because you have given something anointed for God to land on in their life. You've created a landing pad in their soul for the Holy Ghost of God. What the world wants to do is make you embarrassed of your testimony. What the world wants you to do is make you embarrassed of your faith, of your proclamation of faith, of your invitations to church. They want to ridicule you. Why? Because the world hates righteousness and always punishes displays of righteousness. The world always wants to diminish righteousness, wants us to diminish our value for righteousness. The, the world does not want righteousness because it feels convicted by its unrighteousness. It is our job to let the world know, hey, God has not condemned you because of your unrighteousness. He has made a way through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you can walk in relationship with Jesus, that you can walk in the blessings of God, that you too can walk in righteousness. This is the life we all crave. This is the life the world longs for. And this was the ministry of Jesus. He said, in this world you have many sorrows, but take comfort. I have overcome the world. In this world you have many sorrows, but take comfort. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. But the disciples, they just, they, just, they just didn't get it. And I wonder, I wonder if we would get it. 
I wonder, I wonder if we would view the miracles that Jesus did in those days the way he wanted us to view them. But let me take it one step further. I wonder if we view the miracles in our lives the way he wants us. More on that in a minute. This story of Jesus the second time crossing the Galilee uh, with the disciples is seen in, in Matthew, uh, Mark, and John. For some reason, Luke the doctor decided not to include this story. Luke is completely different than the other Gospels, even though it's one of the three synoptic Gospels. It's written in an entirely different linguistic style. It's written like an expert, like a, a, a trained person, like an educated person. It's, it's very um, wordy. It's, the, the Greek in it is extremely complicated, uh, and it's different. And so some things are left out of Luke that are in others. And for historical accuracy, some things are in Luke that aren't in the others. But this story is in Matthew, John, and Mark. And when John tells a story, it says, Jesus was walking on the water as, as they were in the boat by themselves. Of course, Jesus had sent them ahead. And the story goes like this. Jesus was, was, was sad. Um, he wanted to pray by himself, but people were following him. Uh, people showed up hungry after the day. So he fed them. He said, listen, go over there, like, like when the tour bus leaves and all the fans chase it, right? That's what he did. He sent the, he sent the disciples ahead on a boat so that everybody would follow the disciples. Then he went up on a mountain. This is what we hear. He sends them on a boat across the water. Jesus is on a mountain. Next thing we know, there's a storm. But it doesn't say that they're scared of the storm. The second time. It doesn't say they're scared. But they're in the storm. As a matter of fact, here's how, here's how John says it. When, when John tells this story, it says he saw Jesus walking in the water and was going to pass them. Like he's just walking by. Like I'm just walking by my friends on the water in the storm. That just sounds weird, right? Like, like I saw a TikTok the other day. And this interview in the TikTok was, what's the craziest thing you ever saw on the subway in New York? And this dude says, I saw a pigeon get on one stop and then got off the next stop. And he's like, you could have just flown there, right? That's this. And so it's this man, why would you take the subway if you're a bird, right? And so here's Jesus walking on the ocean by the disciples going through the storm. If we flip over to Mark, we, we, we see a, even a little bit different. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 6. This is good. Are you getting anything? Yeah, you're going to be provoked in your faith today. That's what's going to happen. You're going to leave here today with a little more faith than you walked in with. That's, that's, that's the goal. You're going to see God do things. I heard somebody's phone going off. I've got to make sure it's not mine. Hold on a second. I'm sure my wife said, move your phone, but I didn't. You know, <clears throat> rebellious in all my ways. <clears throat> Mark, Mark chapter 6. Let's, let's take a look at this. Starting in verse 49, tells the same story. Watch this. Mark 6, 40, we'll start in verse 49. It starts in verse 45, but we're going to start in 49. It says, so Jesus was walking on the water. John says he was going to pass them, right? He's just going to walk by them. And here it says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Now, I don't know, I don't know what it would be like to be on a storm. Well, you got it. Let's just remember this. We, 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 we forget what it's like to walk with Jesus. Um, if you've ever known like a prophet prophet, they could get weird, right? Like they get, 
they think things do things get weird with prophets, right? Things get weird. Weird things happen around really prophetic people, especially if they don't try to control it. Like just just strange things fall from the sky, right? Like weird things happen in prophetic lives. Like uh, things just start to to the point where you're just like nothing surprises me any 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 longer. I just I I I don't. I, I don't know what's happening. So, and you even get to the point where you're like, re, well, I don't even know what reality is anymore. Like reality is, is, it escapes me entirely. A prophet, let me tell you this, a prophet is not a psychic. A prophet is not someone who just tells you your future. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Bible, you see very, 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 very little of people telling a person their future. It's generally reserved for kings and prophets, right? That's That's... And Jesus, and, and Peter. And so you probably are not going to be the apostle of Rome, right, with like Peter was. And I'm safe to say none of us are going to be the Messiah. Right? Uh, none of us are going to be Mary. Uh, I don't think, well, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm positive. I'm positive I'm not uh, going to be Mary. Um, and, and, uh, and so the, the main role of the prophet is not to, not to, not to replace your relationship with Jesus and tell you your future and how to run your life. That's, that's not the role. The role of the prophet is to, to, to discern what is the kingdom of this world and what is the kingdom of God and what happens when we choose the wrong one of those two. Right? This is in how to choose the right one of those two. This is, this is the main role of the prophet. Don't let them get in, muck around in your lives and all that. But I, I've just known prophets who had uh, just very, 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 very strange encounters that had very, very weird things happen. And so these disciples... Like, imagine if you live with someone and all of a sudden the guy you grew up with is like healing people and blind eyes are seeing and they're walking on water. Like, this is, this will throw you off a little bit. And, and Jesus, here's the point. Jesus wants to throw us off a little bit. He wants us to recognize that the kingdom of heaven is here now. And in order to do that, we got to recognize that we've been Aware of a wrong kingdom. All right, let me get back in the scripture. Mark chapter 6, verse 49. It says, When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars. I said I wasn't going to read all this, but I am now. For the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. They weren't scared of the sea. They were scared of Jesus. I don't have time to break that out, but pray into that one moment. Right? Uh, And cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were utterly astonished. Verse 52, for they had not gained insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart were hardened. Let me say that again. They were terrified, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Mark and John don't tell anything about Jesus, excuse me, about Peter walking on the water. John is the nice one. He didn't record Jesus' rebuke. But Mark, Mark, Mark made it most clear. Mark is the one who just cuts to the chase. Mark doesn't have a lot of time. Like, he's like, I just got a story to tell you. 
I'm going to get to the heart of it. He came in the boat and he rebuked us. They were frightened and utterly astonished because they did not gain insight from the incident of the loaves. Their heart was hardened. What, what does that happen? Right before this story, right before they walked, they, they went across the sea and Jesus walked on the water. Like I said, Jesus was trying to get away because John the Baptist, his cousin, had been murdered. And after his cousin was murdered, he was very sad. And he went away to pray, and the crowds followed him, and they were hungry, and Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves. And then he sent them on the other side of the sea. The disciples had no idea how they had been shaped by the politics of their day. They had no idea. They had no clue that the, that the, 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 the institutions in the culture of their day had shaped how they view God and what God was able to do. Are, are you with me in this right now? They, they did not understand. The, the, only, the, only problem, the only problem that they thought was just like, oh, these people aren't receiving our, our, our rabbi. They, 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 they were thinking, oh, Jesus is, is this miracle worker. Why aren't they following him? But they had no idea that their mind and how they viewed the scriptures, how they viewed Jesus, was shaped by the world they lived in. They they, they, they thought that they were going to be conquering kingdoms and in and, and all these conquering kingdoms, Israel would be among them. And the, the Pharisees hoped that one day a Messiah would come and rescue Israel. Then the kingdom would be established in glory over all the kingdoms around it. The only problem was the Pharisees thought that the Messiah would look just like them. The zealots, they were, they were ready to defeat Rome through violence. They, they, they were ready to, to, to take up their sword like Barabbas and, and, and fight their way for the kingdom. But Jesus, Jesus was not of that ilk. They thought, man, God had given this land to Israel, therefore we should take it back by force. The Sadducees, the Sadducees had, had completely given up. The Sadducees had decided... You know, God is done with Israel, so we're just going to make some political alliances and we're going to get in with the Pharaoh and get in with the rulers of the, of the land and, and we are going to, um, not the Pharaoh, but with the, the, the rulers of the land, the Caesar, and we will have power over the temple and we're just, since you can't fight the system, you might as well be a part of it and we'll get rich off of the system. The, the, the Sadducee, they completely gave up. At least the Pharisees had hoped that if they lived the law perfectly, that that would bring Messiah to them. But, but they wanted, the Sadducees wanted to operate within Rome's rules in ways that benefited them. Jesus wasn't looking for a violent overthrow of Rome like the zealots. He came as the Prince of Peace. He wasn't coming to be the perfect Pharisee. He said, you're tithing perfectly, but you forget the more important things like justice and taking care of the poor and afflicted. He wasn't interested in what the Sadducees were offering, this system of getting wealthy off of Rome's power in the temple. He went there and he turned over tables and he set all the sacrifices free. You see, Jesus came with a message. Put it up, Bella. The kingdom of heaven is here. This is the message that Jesus came with. He didn't say we need to keep the law right so the Messiah will come. He didn't say take up a sword, we're taking everything back. He didn't say get along with the Romans so we can have power. He said no, the kingdom 
of heaven is here. And Jesus preached the message that there is nothing impossible for those who believe. He said, listen, you need to get your mind out of the box that these other groups were trying to get it in. Get your mind out of this theological box. Get yourself into some better thinking. It is a failure of imagination to think that we have to work within the rules of this society to see Jesus come to pass in our lives. It is a failure of imagination to think that we have to live according to the ethics of this land. It is a failure of imagination to think that the only way to get Christian nation is to be mean to people who aren't Christian. It is an absolute failure of imagination. Jesus Christ has something beyond anything the natural mind has thought up. Jesus Christ has a supernatural plan for 2000. 23. The disciples were still living in the lack of their day. The way they thought about it was the only way to get ahead was to kind of coax Rome into giving you some money. They failed to imagine that the words of Jesus were true for them literally right now. They had a failure in their imagination to capture what Jesus was saying and believe it to be true. Just like Jacob needed a revelation of God's nearness. Jacob needed a revelation that I'm running, but God is in this place. Moses saw a burning bush and God spoke destiny through it. Samuel heard a voice in the night and the prophet Eli had to tell him, the next time you hear that voice, go and tell it, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The angel of the Lord visited Jeremiah and took a coal from the altar and touched his mouth and called him to be a prophet and said his sins had been washed away, but the word of God was now in his mouth. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, the, the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. After Moses died, Joshua was standing there. And Moses, the angel of the Lord, came to him and said, Moses, my servant is dead. Go therefore, gather the Israelites and go into the promised land. John, the beloved, was on an island, a prison island, thinking he was all alone. And then the angel of the Lord came to him and said, come up here. And the Bible says, immediately he was in the Spirit. The angel came to Mary, said, our, said with our, you are pregnant with our Lord and do not be worried before, because you have found favor with God. All through this book are people who had transforming encounters with God that were supposed to mark their lives from that moment forward, but only by faith faith could they carry that encounter from that moment into their future? Come on, somebody. Say amen. Come on, by faith. What was the purpose of these moments? How was Jesus different than all the rabbis who came before him? Allow me to read a moment from the theologian Robert Jensen. It says, what was new about Jesus? Even parables have been regularly used by the old prophets. Not to the extent that Jesus used them, but they have been used. What was new was not the content of Jesus' prophesying. What was new was that his proclamation of the immediate coming of the kingdom of God left people no time to get ready. The old prophecies had always left people with time to get ready. Jesus' prophesying left people with no time at all. 
Those who heard him either had to accept the message or turn it down. Those who heard it had to accept it or turn it down. In effect, a person's acceptance or rejection of the kingdom of God's imminent arrival was consonant with their reaction to Jesus himself. Jesus prophesied a kingdom, and you either had to accept this kingdom is here, or you reject Jesus and his message. These encounters that Jesus gave people were snapshots into this new kingdom, and it was supposed to mark how we see reality. The disciples saw Jesus feed 5,000 families, but not by himself. This is important. He didn't himself feed these people. He used the apostles. He split it. He gave it to the apostles. And the apostles handed it out. He not only did the miracle. He worked through these people. This miraculous encounter was an invitation. It was an invitation of Jesus to see the world in light of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wanted that miracle to mark them. But they didn't understand the meaning of the miracle. It's not enough to have an encounter, friend. It's not enough to just come to church and encounter God, though I hope you do that. I hope you come on Sunday morning with a hungry spirit. I hope you bring people and you say, I I know you're in confusion. I know you can't hear God, but I know a place where God speaks. But we're not to leave that in church. We're not to leave it in that place of encounter. That's not enough. We have to throw away the false interpretations of what Jesus was saying and see it with brand new eyes. If you're like me, you read the Bible before you ever got saved. And if you're not saved, you're reading the Bible right now before you get saved. And you think you understand what it's saying. But something happens when you meet Jesus. There's something happens when we encounter the living God and the Spirit of God comes on the inside of us and awakens our spirit. Man, all of a sudden, this book, this book becomes alive. And all of a sudden, the the one who inspired the author is sitting next to you, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. And he's speaking while you're reading. You're reading one thing, and it's all of a sudden not just one voice, but there's a choir happening because his voice starts to resonate with this voice. And there is a chord that gets struck. Not just one voice, but two or three voices. All of a sudden, as you put faith in this Word and you begin to exercise faith, now it's not just you and God, but it's you, God, in a cloud of witnesses all around you, echoing the amen of heaven to the word that you're reading right here. All of a sudden, you're experiencing his presence in ways you did not know up to that point. Here, friend, there's plenty of churches in Boca Raton who will give you three steps to having better finances or four ways to study whatever. And that's, we are about meeting the living God here in Revival Life Church. We are about encountering the living God. We are about getting filled with the Spirit of God and seeing miracles unspeakable and full of glory. This is what we're about. I wonder, I wonder how many miracles we have experienced that were supposed to be guideposts, but we left them as memorials. I wonder how many times we read the Bible and God spoke so clear to us and Maybe it just became nothing more than a journal entry. I wonder how many times God did a miracle and we failed to understand the meaning of the miracle. We praised we praise God. We thanked Him. We gave glory to Jesus. We did the right thing with the miracle. We gave Him the praise. We gave Him the honor. We didn't take credit for it. But we left it as a memorial. In truth, 
in South Florida, it's, it's easier to remember the defeats than it is the victories, if we're honest. It's easier to remember the things that didn't go right in South Florida than did. In South Florida, it's easy to see our lack of finances than the God of abundance who walks with us in this society, just like the apostles. Just like it shaped their view of God, this society is trying to shape our view of what we read in the Scriptures and what we believe about God. Mikey, would you come up, please? Let me tell you, friend, in this, in this season and in this hour, we have to remember the lesson of the bread. We have to remember the lesson in our miracles. We have to remember what God did for us miraculously and what He wants to do going forward based on that miracle. I'm telling you, friend, for what we're called to do in this house, what God has called us to do in this area and in this time and in this place, what God wants to do in and through us. We can't be going to kindergarten every year. We can't stay in first grade learning the same lessons over and over and over again. We can't be begging for the same thing. We have to take the miracle of the bread and recognize what did that reveal about God to me? I speak this with no judgment. I'm at the altar with you. Some of the greatest miracles in your life, some of the greatest miracles in my life were to be lessons that God wanted to get deep down on the inside of me. There's a song that I love. We don't sing it here. It says, He's an on-time God. Yes, He is. Oh, on time, God. Yes, He is. He may not come when you want Him, but He'll be there right on time. He's an on time, God. Yes, He is. Let's sing it. He's an on time, God. Yes, He is. On time, God, yes, He is. May not come when you want Him, but He'll be there right on time. He's an on time, God, yes, He is. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job, good job, good job, good job. He's an on time, God, I'm here to tell you. Sure enough, don't come when you want them. <laughs> but he'll be there right on time. Sometimes he's just waiting for us to line up with his time. Sometimes he's waiting for us to remember the miracle of the bread. Sometimes he's just waiting for us to exercise faith and not doubt. I'm going to give you quick three things, and then we're going we're gonna to play a little music here. We're going to pray to give you an opportunity to have a fresh encounter with God. Number one in your life, I want you to cultivate thankfulness in your heart. Cultivate thankfulness in your heart. I've read Psalm 78 so many times recently in my, in my devotions. And in Psalm 78, God is talking to the children of Israel and He's like, listen, look at here. I done did all this for you, yet you won't stop complaining 
and you were not thankful for what I gave you. It's really hard to be in depression when you're living and cultivating thankfulness. I have a thankfulness journal that the Lord has prompted me to keep up to date. And every day I put things that I'm thankful for in there. And it's not like, you know, thank you for waking me up in this morning, starting me on my way. No, no, real things. I got, I got real things to be thankful for. And if that's all you got, write that down. Why? Because if you were alive, there's still hope. If you're still breathing, you still got a chance. Come on, somebody. You done made it through every hard day you've ever lived in your entire life. And you're going to make it through this next one. With God on your side, you're going to make it through. We got to cultivate thankfulness in our hearts. Watch the words you are speaking over yourself. Watch the complaining. I wish, I wish people are like, oh, I can't complain. I said, it wouldn't help. I would if it would help. I'd complain if I thought it would fix things, but it only makes it worse. You see, the more you look for God, the more you'll see Him. The more you look for Him, the more you will see Him. Come on, somebody. The more you look for Him, the more you will see Him. He likes to show Himself. He likes to play hide-and-seek. You know what it's like when God plays hide-and-seek and you don't go looking? You alone. God is constantly playing hide-and-seek with some of us. God proved that He was trustworthy to them, but they refused to let their past encounters with God shape their view of God. They kept accusing Him of abandoning them. And so they just wandered in the desert. You felt like you've been in the desert for a long time? You felt like, you felt like man, why can't I graduate from this season? It might be time to thank God for what He's done in your life. Amen. Come on, somebody. Number two. Number two, we need to press in for a fresh encounter with God. Press in for a fresh encounter with God. I, I, this isn't in my notes, but I just feel like this is for somebody. It was a season in my life where the Lord prompted me to lay out the greatest miracles He's done for me. And then to pray for a fresh understanding of what those miracles meant. And so I just sat with someone and I prayed and the Lord showed me a miracle that he had done in my life. And he's done many, like he's done many in our lives. Amen. He's just done so many miracles in our lives. And he showed me a specific miracle and I was like, what was the point of that miracle, Lord? There had to be a point to it. Because when Jesus does the miraculous in your life, that is heaven breaking into your life. And so that you now have a glimpse understanding, a knowledge of God that you did not have before that miracle. What, what were you communicating to me? Not just getting me out. Not just like the person who hit lotto and helped you one time. That is not who God is. God is not like, I will help you out with this, but I'm now going to live my life. He, he is like, I, when I did this for you, I want you to let you know that you now are connected to me this way. This is a way that we are connected. And so we need to, we need to press in to say, okay, God, what, what was that connection? What is it you were communicating to me in that miracle? Because that is a language of God. And so you need to press in for an encounter with God. Don't make it up. Don't, 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 imagine, don't do guided meditation. Don't tell God what you want Him to show you. But, you, but we, need to, we need to stay in this Word. We need to pray. You may need to fast. And say, God, I need to hear your voice. I am going to set, set aside time early in the morning you're like me, late at night. 
I'm not much of an early riser. Late at night, spending time with Jesus, seeking him out. God, I need you to speak to me. He's an honor. He's a, he will honor those who dutifully seek him. He blesses those who seek him. The Bible tells us this. But we need to read this book and listen for God to speak to us through this book so we can have a fresh encounter of how to get out of the circumstance. Some of you are just like a half hour of setting aside time from your breakthrough. I just need some instruction. I need wisdom and instruction, God. And once God speaks, then truth is established. third thing you need to put it up if you would Bella sow into your need I'm going to preach this out of my own life this has happened to me several times now if you're just visiting Revival Life today things are about to get weird alright so you can just translate this into your own language alright there was a season in my life where I was desperate to have a glimpse of heaven. I mean, I was, I was desperate, dude. I was desperate to have a glimpse of heaven. And I knew people who had visions, encounters, they had caught up. I was desperate, desperate for a glimpse of heaven. And so what I started doing was I started praying for every person I could to get a touch from heaven. I would lay hands on people. They would get caught. I remember we were at a bar mitzvah one time. I'm like, good job, man. Can I pray for you? <laughs> Kids laying on the ground, having visions of heaven. I'm like, what happened? And he's telling me. I mean, it looks like the book of Revelation. I'm like, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, how about your servant? <laughs> what about your servant here? What about your servant? I, I want to see some heaven. What's going on? But I just pray for everybody I could to get a touch from heaven. I was sowing into that which I wanted. There was, a, there was a pastor whose ministry I desperately wanted to emulate. He had gifts in his life. He had prayed for me enough times. Nothing was happening. And, uh, and so I went to him, and uh, I was, this was before I was in ministry. I was, I was in volunteer ministry. I was in a vocational ministry. I had my own business of uh, website design and hosting and all that good stuff. And, uh, and so I said, hey, let me, can I, can I, can I bring you into the, 20th century, you know, build you a website that doesn't look like that, and um, give you an electronic, uh, get, get you a, a newsletter, and just put all this together. Just, just kind of just build this. I just want to sow into your ministry. I did that for like two years. It's for free. And uh, eventually, like, I began to see the gifts of God in his life just begin to emulate into my life. This is, this is something that, that we live. So I have needs, and, and recently we had a significant need in our life, and I said, Lord, where are you at? And he said, I know what you should do. You should give this thing away. I'm like, why am I giving stuff away when I need more? That don't. But we know God's ways. We know God's ways. And so we sowed in faith. I have not received the breakthrough yet, but I, it settled in my heart. I knew I received it the moment God told me to give. You see, the world teaches us to look out for ourselves. 
And that's the opposite of what Jesus did. And some of you are just being faithful to God away from your breakthrough. Some of you are just serving in the house of God away from your breakthrough. Some of you just being faithful to God in your finances away from your breakthrough. Some, some of you are just being obedient to what God is telling you to do away from your breakthrough. God wants to increase what you have, but you won't give what you have now, so we can't give you the more. You haven't learned the lesson of the fish. And so here's what I want to do at this point. I want to pray. I want to pray for a fresh encounter with God. Silva, can you come and drum a little bit here? Just give me a nice steady beat. I want to pray, and uh, I'm going to dismiss you just in, just in a second. I'll be in the lobby. I'd love to, I'd love to uh, meet those of you who are guests, and uh, just believe God that our AC will be fixed next week. In the name of Jesus, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus. Unless you feel like you're supposed to sew an air conditioning unit, you know, just need a just need a three ton package unit. If you know what that means, you know, maybe the Lord is speaking to you. Hallelujah. 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 Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your life today. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just pray right now. Stand with me if you would. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would touch every heart in this room, that you would reveal. Ha, ha, ha. All right, this is going to, we're going to get Pentecostal here for a second. This is what we need to do. There's some of you, you're feeling right now, there's a manifestation happening. There's a tingling happening on your face and the top of your head. I want you to come forward. I just want to pray for you real quick. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for this ability to hear and discern the words of God. There you go. Yep, yep, yep. Anybody else? You just feel, you're feeling this right now. In the name of Jesus. I get help from an usher here. In the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I call forth that prophetic vision in the name of Jesus. Oh, wow, a reactivation. Who is that else in here? It's on your face. It's like it's, it's, it's oddly beginning to tingle.